You know, you got you got nice color skin. What color would you say that is? My color. The Osage. They have the worst land possible. But they outsmarted everybody. The land had oil on it. Black gold. Money flows freely here now. I do love that money, sir. <laughs> <laughs> This wealth should come to us. Their time is over. This is going to be another tragedy. When this money started coming, we should have known it came with something else. They're like buzzards circling our people. We're still warriors. to kill these white men who killed my family. I need you here. I am right here. You've got to take back control of your home. I was uh, sent down from Washington, D.C. to see about these murders. See what about them? See who's doing it. Expecting a miracle to make all this go away. You know they don't happen anymore. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Uncle Dad Talks. I'm Uncle Dad and with me, I, finally, <laughs> after a very long absence, the one, the only, the sexy, the young, the fruit, the the the, uh, the virile, <laughs> the virile. <laughs> Let's give it up for Mike Hampton. What do you? I've only been gone for what an episode or two. Come on. Uh, definitely not. But okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, no one even notices my me not being here let's be honest oh you know that's not true you know that's not true no. it's you know it's not uncle dad without just mike you know what i mean no. well it is uh, uncle dad well yeah but you you complete me oh how about this it's not uncle dad talks without just mike it's uncle dad listens oh yes See? i've been listening a lot <laughs> a lot of listening yeah. uh, what's up man how uh how have you been uh are you ready to do this again are you ready to get back on the road here if you will yeah you know it's been a busy summer as, as everyone who has listened knows i do a lot of events and i travel a bunch and i was at burning man for almost a month and and then the the, the traveling didn't stop and, and and finally you know we're coming into the fall and then into the early parts of winter and so there's less events, which means there'll be more of me mm, on the show. I'm, yeah. I'm excited. I'm excited. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, it's uh, since you've been gone, I've been doing a lot of uh, listens and whatnot. And those have been great. I've been actually very uh, thankful to do that. Uh, another thing, too, is I don't know if you've seen what we're doing Uncle Dad Ween right now. 
Yeah, I noticed. Yes. Have you been listening to the song since you've been gone by Kelly Clarkson? <laughs> Kelly Clarkson. Since you've been gone. <laughs> yeah, that one. Uh, I, think, well, I think you sent that to me in a text. I, I didn't get it, but now I'm getting it. Mm. <laughs> Don't tell anybody. <laughs> uh, too late. Um, too late yeah so we're doing that right now and that's pretty that's been pretty big hit uh people seem to love it uh 31 guests uh 31 episodes uh i'll be honest with you as uncle dad fashion is i haven't been the best on keeping it day to day but you know what 31 episodes will come out they might they might just all come they might come out all at once <laughs> hey you know i mean 31 is a big number there's 31 <laughs> flavors at baskin robbins you can't eat them all at once either right that's not other, true. You, I mean, otherwise you might be sick. <laughs> well, you know, I don't want to say that I've tried. <laughs> you don't have to say it. <laughs> oh, it's good to have you back, sir. But before we get the show on the road here, um, let's talk about some sponsorships here. We got a new one. Uh, hmm. We have uh, something that you are passionate about. Uh, we will now be sponsored by Field Notes. Uh, Field Notes probably makes some of the best um, journals, notebooks, sketch pads, uh, postcards, uh, probably around. I don't know. Would you agree with that? What do you think? But yeah, I mean, they, they're they're the planners, everything. I, I keep a small one in my uh, in my laptop case all the time. And I definitely take some field notes. Um, and I love the, the layout of the design of them. It was done by Aaron Draplin, who's a, a graphic designer that I think I've mentioned him on the show, but I look up to him as a as a designer very much so. Um, so also part of why I'm excited about having them as a sponsor and using their products. Yeah. And here's the best part, Mike. You can save some money. Yeah. Good. Who doesn't want to save money? We love to save money. Yes. You can save 10% off using promo code UncleDad10, one word. That's UncleDad10, UncleDad10, 10% off. From my understanding, there's no limitations, so you can buy a bunch of field notes, get 10% off that. I mean, if you, I mean, depending on what you're doing, you can save some good money on that. And really, this is quality product. Uh, they have great different starter boxes too. So, like, if you want to do like a, if you want to get into our, like water, not watercolor, like um, color pencil type stuff, they have a whole color pencil kit. They have they have uh, amazing postcards. Like, they have everything you can imagine for being on the field. Yeah, and uh, I recommend it more than you can imagine. And we wouldn't have anything on this show that we don't really recommend, right? I mean, so please check them out. Yeah, and you know the holidays will are just right around the corner, and they make great gifts and stocking stuffers. Oh, that is a great gift. I didn't even think about that. So. Yeah, that's a great yeah, gift. That's why you're here. Remember, remember gifts? <laughs> what are those? <laughs> well, you used to give me gifts. Uh, so let's talk about. Uh, oh, sorry, that's our sponsor. So please go check them out. Feelnotes.com. Um, I believe it's just feelnotes.com. Uh, sorry, fieldnotesbrand.com and go check out their product. Use promo code UncleDad10 for 10% off. Uh, and also, we have another announcement to make in this episode. Our, our beautiful sponsor, uh, Clandestine Brewing, we are going to be doing a, another Halloween party in conjunction with Stump uh, Trivia Quiz. Uh, it's called Trivia and Treats, uh, hosted by myself and Just Mike. Uh, that will be October 26th from 6 p.m. to who knows. Uh, come on down. Uh, Mike, you want to give them some details of what's happening? Sure. Yeah. It, you know, it's our favorite brewery here in the Bay Area. And um, yeah, we've got a couple uh 
we've got a couple of live artists that are going to that are going to be there doing live art while we're hanging um there'll be music playing you know fun trivia of course we'll be up to our nonsense there's a costume contest and the winner of the costume contest uh will the grand prize is going to be one of the pieces of art that's being painted while we're all uh, hanging out there at the brewery so it should be fun also um, there's something else bonus to that you want to hear the bonus prize whoa whoa think you about get, that man you can get drunk <laughs> you can get all you know fit dip. <laughs> you, you can get all kinds of drunk yeah well, uh, but yeah yeah if, yeah i'm just saying if, you, if you're in the bay I, I assume some of our listeners are please come out it's a thursday and uh so you still have the whole halloween weekend you got friday you got saturday you even got sunday to just go out to the big crazy parties just come hang with us on a on a nice soft thursday Ooh, a soft Thursday. I like the way yeah. you think. <laughs> mm. That's right. Yes, come check it out. Clandestine Brewing in San Jose, California. Uh, again, October 26th uh, from at 6 p.m. ending uh, to whenever. And uh, come check out the trivia hosted by Stump Trivia Quiz. Uh, okay, uh, Mike, so this episode is pretty crazy. Your return brings us back to something pretty crazy, man. So this filmmaker, ar- arguably is one of the most influential, probably most iconic filmmakers to ever exist. What is your opinion on that? I would agree. I mean, he's made some of the, um, you know, depending on what type of movies you like, some of the best movies, I think, of of, uh, of our time, right? I mean, working with some of the best actors of all time is what I would say. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. We are talking about, and you already know who it is because it's in the in the show show name. But we are talking about Martin Scorsese. So, is it Scorsese or Scorsese? I've heard both, but let's go with Scorsese because Scorsese. I hear that more. Okay, okay. Uh, <laughs> that makes me think of Patrick Swayze. That's why I'm like, oh, <laughs> mm, maybe they're related. Um, maybe that should have been a question we asked him. What is the proper uh-huh. uh, proper? You know, he he wouldn't he wouldn't like that. I don't think he would have. He probably would have been like, uh, next, please. Yeah. <laughs> are you going to ask me about superheroes next? <laughs> when are you going to do your first superhero movie? Yeah. <laughs> this is over. Goodbye. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we got the pleasure or uh, Mike, you know, Mike is busy doing his thing. And uh, we were able to, uh, one of us, be able to attend the official press conference for uh, the Killers of the Flower Moon, Killers of the Flower Moon, uh, which is coming out uh, this Friday. It's already out in select theaters, but worldwide it'll be this Friday. Um, yeah. So we got to be part of that. Uh, Mike, uh, I got they picked one of our sets of questions this Friday, the October twentieth, um, which yes. is when this episode comes out. Correct? Oh yeah. So right. Yeah. So, so when you're listening out, to this, <laughs> it's out. Yeah. It's out. You're right. My bad. <laughs> good save. Good save. Yeah, awesome. Aren't you glad I'm here? Yes, yes I'm glad you're here. <laughs> uh, but yes, they picked uh, a, a set of our questions that we had. Um, now, I think in order to save time, they didn't talk about any of the people who were asking the questions. They just kind of asked the questions. It was moderated by somebody. And, you know, forgive me, I don't remember the moderator's name. Uh, and to be honest with you, I, I am missing the first five minutes of the conference, but that's okay. Uh, when you actually listen to this, you're going to get pretty much m- more or less the entire press conference. So, yeah, we are going to play the entire press conference that we attended, and you get to learn some really interesting facts. Now, Mike, should we tell them the question I ask, or should they try to guess? What do you think? Ooh, well, um, I think uh, I think it's good that, that, that you tell them, because um, then when they hear it, then it's more exciting to hear the answer. That's my my thought. 
Okay. So I'll, I'll say it like this. I asked a question about the relationship between Scorsese, basically bringing on, you know, these partnerships he's had for years and, uh, you know, creating those performances within this film uh, involving Leonardo DiCaprio and Robert De Niro and what he thought was this basically his, the best performance or best thing that came from it for the Killers of the Flower Moon. That's more or less what I asked. Yeah. I mean, that's a great question. I mean, those are the great combo of questions. And, you know, like I said, arguably two of the best actors, not just of our time, but I think of all time, I would say, I mean, both those guys, like some of the performances that they've had, I mean, I mean, they're two of my favorites and it's, it's awesome to see them. This is the first time they've done a film together, right? I think so. Right. Cause I was thinking about that too. I think this is definitely the first time they're doing uh what do you call it? Um, like opposites, like, you know, uh, from lead to, uh, um, co-star kind of thing. Yeah. Let me look this up. Has... I don't think so. I think we would already know. Um, While you look that up, I have some information I need to read real fast. Uh, So, Kills of the Flower Moon uh, stars uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, Robert De Niro, Lily Gladstone, Jesse Plemons, uh, Tantu Cardinal, John Lithgow, which I didn't know, Brendan Fraser, which I also didn't know, uh, and some other great actors as well. Directed by Martin yeah, crazy, right? Uh, directed by Brent, uh, Martin Scorsese, screenplay by Eric Roth and Martin Scorsese. And this is based on the book, uh, Killers of the Flower Moon um, and the Birth of the FBI, written by David Graham. Mm, there's a lot of good people in that movie. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I didn't. In, Brendan Fraser, I was like, what? <laughs> um, Jeremy, Lem- Jeremy Lemons, right? That's what you said? No, Jeremy Lemons. I said uh, uh, Jesse, Jesse Plemons. Jesse Plemons, Jeremy Lemons. <laughs> he's the guy. Yeah, he's great too um so this is not the first time they've been in a movie together they were in this boy's life 1993 is that directed by scorsese as well Um, because i think think that's what makes it unique right it's the concept of you know uh because those are basically you know scorsese's proteges in many ways you know what i mean yeah um it doesn't i don't i don't yeah i don't think that that's a scorsese movie i don't i don't it doesn't come to mind at all that that's uh uh, a scorsese movie um (laughs) but also uh they were in another movie called marvin's room everybody knows marvin's room uh i know the drake song marvin's room (laughs) yeah from uh, 1996 interesting (laughs) um yeah i don't know what that is (laughs) it looks like like they were also in The Audition, a 2015 movie. And this is a film directed by Barton Scorsese. So this is not the first time they're together in a Scorsese film. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> we're learning a lot here about uh, about things. We sure are, man. We really are. And you'll yeah. learn a lot listening to this conference. Uh, now, I, I, I want to point out there, again, that everything you're hearing is exactly what we heard during the conference. Um, there are some great stories that Scorsese tells in this whole entire thing. Uh, what I really liked is when he talks about the connection between everybody. Uh, he tells great stories about Leo's acting. He gives you some behind the scenes that you didn't know yet. It's really quite a wonderful experience. And if you are a fan of film, if you are a fan even just of, not even just like necessarily a Scorsese movies, but just film in general, you will seriously get something out of this. Because he talks he, he, he talks in such a way that is so elegant and so well-versed that it just makes you fall in love with film again, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, if anyone, if anyone would enjoy talking about film, I would imagine it would be him, just the way he puts movies together and the way he paces the story and builds the characters like you know that's part of what makes his film so great and uh so i'm excited to hear it um but i have another question has there been a martin scorsese movie with leonardo dicaprio robert de niro and bruce willis 
<laughs> Has there even been a Scorsese movie with Bruce Willis? <laughs> I don't think so. Huh? <laughs> well, I mean, that ship sailed now, but <laughs> you know. <laughs> Actually, I mean, you know, he, with AI, they probably could. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, he could have a non-talking part. Yeah. <laughs> I would love to see, you know, like, if they did like a re, not a remake, but like a sequel to Goodfellas, have Bruce Willis in it. <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah, I would too. <laughs> uh, but Mike, before we go and we let the listeners listen to all this, uh, yeah, I don't know. Do you have any other questions about what happened, the experience? I mean, you know, you're because you weren't there. So, I mean, no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't have any questions about how, it, I mean, I'm sorry I wasn't there. I was on the tail end of a long weekend of events, and uh, but you know I'm st- I'm stoked that you came up with a question that or a combo of questions that he picked. So you're doing great, man. You've learned a lot this time. You know somebody somebody taught me the way. You know what yeah, I mean? Somebody. And that per- and that person is you. Oh, <laughs> well, look at you. All right. This is the way. <laughs> uh, okay, so before we wrap up, uh, hot take here real fast. Do you agree with Martin Scorsese's opinion about Marvel superhero movies? Which Do you know it? No, I, okay. I think I heard it. I think I heard it. Um, someone say it somewhere. But what? Remind me. Just actually, yes, I know. But say it so the audience can know. <laughs> basically, it's and I'm paraphrasing, but basically, it's the idea of that superhero movies are ruining uh, cinema. They're ruining cinema. Yes, I don't agree with that. They're ruining cinema. I, I think. Some of the superhero movies that have come out have ruined superhero movies. Sure. Um, but, you know, I think some of them are actually really great. Like, especially, you know, the, the early Iron Man and the early Avengers, like, you know, where they have quality actors really playing the part. The story's good. It feels cohesive. Um, and then, you know, it just, like everything, it just kind of changes and evolves over time. And then it, and a lot of them started just becoming about the Big Bang and the special sure. effects and and uh and you know they kind of lose their lose their integrity i guess um so yeah i think superhero movies ruin superhero movies how about that <laughs> you know i i would agree with that for the most part i think when he says that though because i guess like people got really mad about it and my thing is like you know you're talking about one of the most influential filmmakers of all time but I, for him i don't think i don't think he sees it as the same type of cinema does that make sense like you know his movies are not that I think they are literally one of some of the greatest movies ever made, but they're not they're not big budget action movies. You know what I'm saying? They're thoughtful, well thought movies. And you know, what is cinema at that point? You know what I mean? Yeah, well, you know, like yeah, it's a different kind of movie, it's a different genre. You know, you're not gonna compare a comedy or a horror movie to a, a Scorsese film either, right? But but I think maybe what he's ta- maybe part of what he's saying is that because of those movies, people, you know, the, the, the youth and the people that are growing up with the with all these su- superhero type of movies that are coming out so often don't have an interest in that type of cinema anymore. And so maybe that that type of cinema is kind of losing its luster or like losing the, the, the desire for people to see it. So maybe maybe it's something along those lines. Well said, Mike. <laughs> yeah, you like that, huh? I saw, well, you. I I saw like, your face. Man. You like that. <laughs> Yeah, I was like, man, am I talking to Martin Scorsese Jr.? <laughs> no, I'm talking to Joe Dirk. <laughs> all right, all right. I'm gonna get a I'm gonna get a haircut soon. 
<laughs> oh, I'm not the only one who said that, I guess. <laughs> no. Everyone, the other people have said Tiger King. Oh, my God. Joe's got a baby. <laughs> a different Joe. I did. Oh, I love it. <laughs> uh, you got you to call it Joe Dierte. You know, put a little French spin on it. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. There we go. All right, now everybody. Uh, I'm so glad to have you back, Mike. Uh, we will We have an episode next week, because uh, that's Halloween week, right? Next week? Yeah. Yeah, that's going to be a big one. So you guys don't want to miss that either. It's going to be amazing. You must look pretty, right. pretty ugly after that. Oh, I, yeah, yeah, you're right. right. All right, okay. everybody, enjoy the the press conference. Uh, enjoy listening to Martin Scorsese tell us the stories about this wonderful movie, Killers of the Flower Mood, which when you listen will be officially out. Go out there, support movies exclusively in theaters first, and then all that good stuff. Mike, any last words? And when you watch the movie, think of what it would be like with Bruce Willis in the movie. <laughs> all right, everybody. We're not uncles. <laughs> we're not dads. And we'll see you all next week. Uh, for about a year and a half to two years, I was doing Irishman and that sort of thing. And Eric Roth and I were working. And we felt that we took the story of um, the birth of the FBI as far as we could take it. And I, we kept, I wanted to keep balancing with the Osage, the Osage. Uh, and it was getting bigger and bigger um, and more diffused. And uh, ultimately, this was supplemented by the times that we went out to Oklahoma and met with the Osage. Uh, my first meeting was with Chief Standing Bear and his group, Julie and Addie Roanhorse and uh, Chad Renfro. And um, it was very different than what I expected. Uh, they were naturally cautious. I had to explain to them that I was going to try and deal with them as 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 uh, honestly as and truthfully as possible. We weren't going to fall into the trap. We think of the cliche of uh, victims or uh, the drunken Indian or the Indian, while well, all of this sort of thing, um, and yet tell the story as straight as possible. What I didn't really understand the first couple of meetings was that this is an ongoing, an ongoing, uh, um, uh, an ongoing, uh, situation, an ongoing story out in Oklahoma. In other words, these are things that really weren't talked about in the generation I was talking to in the generation above them, before them, I should say. It was the generation before them that this happened to. And so they didn't talk about it much. And the people involved are still there, meaning the families are still there, the descendants are still there. And so what I learned from, from meeting with them, having dinners with them, uh, Margie Burkhardt, I think, uh, she was the... Uh, uh, in the relative of uh, Ernest Burkhart, she pointed out, you know, uh, and a number of other people pointed out that you have to understand a lot of the white guys there, a lot of the European Americans, particularly Bill Hale, they were they were good friends. You know, one guy pointed out, he said he, he was Henry Brown was his best friend. And yet he killed him. And people just didn't believe at the time that that Bill would be capable of such things. And so um you know, what? It, what is that about us as human beings that allows for us to be so compartmentalized in a way? And Margie got up and talked about the fact that one has to remember, especially after she saw silence, they sort of felt a little more comfortable with me doing this. Um, she said one has to remember that Ernest, her, her ancestor, um, loved Molly and Molly loved Ernest. It's a love story. And so... And so ultimately what happened is that the script shifted that way. 
And that's when Ernest, uh, uh, when Leo decided to play Ernest instead, instead of uh, uh, Tom White. And by that point, we started reworking the script and it became really, instead of from the outside in, coming in and finding out who done it, you know, when in reality, it's who didn't do it. Uh, it's a story of complicity. It's a story of sin by omission, you know, uh, silent uh, complicity in cases, certain cases. Um, and so that's what afforded us the opportunity to open the picture up and start from the outs from the inside out. Uh, the film takes place in, in Oklahoma and you were adamant about shooting the movie there. <clears throat> People are curious to know when was the first time you visited Oklahoma and what was your impression and how did you begin to visualize the film taking place there? Well, um, I think the first time was uh, in 2019, I think. It was, it was a little, uh, it's a little confusing because of shooting Irishman, doing the CGI in Irishman, which was a longer post-production, four months, five months, and then COVID hitting. But I know we were there before COVID. We had at least two trips there before COVID. And, and for me, that, that you know, I am a New Yorker. I, I grew up in the lower, lower east side of New York. I'm very urban. I don't understand uh, weather that much uh, or, or where the sun is. When you're on the set, you know, I was very, very surprised to learn that it's set in the West. That's because I was driving down Sunset Boulevard one time about 30 years ago, and I saw the sun setting. And I said, that's great. It's Sunset Boulevard. The sun sets in the West. I can't get the whole, now I get it. Anyway, um, uh, when I got there, all I can tell you is um, those prairies are quite something. And they open your mind and your heart. They are just beautiful. And especially driving on these roads, straight road through a prairie, and on on both sides, wild horses and bison and cows. I but the wild horses just out to pasture for the rest of their lives, and it was like idyllic. And so I said, where where do I put the camera? At this point, how much of the sky? How much of the prairie? You know, uh, should it be one eight five or should it be two three five? We got to go two three five. You know, I want to see more of this land. And then I began to realize that the land itself could be sinister. In other words, you could, you're in a place like this and you don't see people for miles. You can do anything. Particularly, it turns out, 100 years ago. For me, 1920 uh, is like 50 years ago because I, I grew up in, I was born in 42. So the 1920s are the way 90s are now to younger people, the 1990s. So when they told me, Marty, this is 100 years ago, I keep thinking, what are we making, a period piece? I didn't quite, <laughs> it's like normal. I mean, yes, there were old cars and, you know, but so I said, yeah, it's not really a Western. It's normal. And I said, Marty, this is a hundred years ago. And, um, but when I saw that and I realized this is a place where you don't need the law. I mean, you have the law, but the law isn't working that way. The law, you can make the law work for you if you're smart enough, as we know now, you know, many people do. But what I mean by that is that it's still a wide open territory. You have law but it's a wide open territory. So you're the place as beautiful as it is can uh, shift to being very sinister. And uh, what I wanted to capture ultimately was the very nature of the virus or the cancer that creates this sense of a kind of easygoing genocide. That's, um, why, that's, why, that's why we went with the story with Molly and Ernest because that's the basis of the love. The love is the basis of trust. 
So when there's betrayal that way, that deep, and we know that for a fact that it was that it was that way, here's our story. Following up on something you just mentioned, uh, can you discuss your creative decision and how you wanted to tell this story, both historically accurate but emotionally resonant? This was a constant, uh, the historically accurate, uh, and I should say, use the word truthful. Um, you know, you can have a you can have a ritual, and you shoot a ritual is the way it should be. But it may have been slightly different at the time, and you could we had many many. Uh, we had uh, a lot of support from the Osage, um, uh, uh, the Osage authority, the uh, uh, experts who were giving us uh, uh, the indication of how to go about these things. Johnny Williams, a uh, number of other people. Um, and so uh, with them, we tested the accuracy of the rituals, the baby namings, the wedding, um, the uh, funerals, everything that happened at the funerals. Uh, all of this sort of thing. Um, and so in some cases, there was wiggle room because quite honestly, I think the last two generations of Osage um, forgot about or was taken out of their out of their experience because they had to become like white European. They had to become, you know, Christians, Catholics, whatever. And so they forgot about all that. In fact, there's a new resurgence of the learning of the language. And we had language teachers there and Lily Gladstone learned the language and so did Leo and so did De Niro who really fell in love with it and wanted to do more scenes in Osage. Uh, but I suggested that maybe it's too much for him, but, but <laughs> he just liked the sound of it. And so they were all learning again to put their culture back together through this movie. And we were going with them. So what actually, if, if, if this person puts the blanket on this way and the baby naming, is that right? Well, one person would say maybe yes. Another would say maybe no. Another one would say you, you have a little room here to play with it and have some creative license. So that's the way we did it throughout every scene that way. And that was done a lot of pre-production and during the shoot. So we had that as a basis. Uh, and there are ways, there are ways they were never insistent, but there were ways they got to me certain information. Um, where it was Marianne Bauer, for example, was a, one of our producers and she's like my archivist and she was able to help keep it all together between myself and the, uh, uh, the Osage. Speaking of Lily Gladstone, um, who of course plays Molly and his wife, I think people are going to be really impressed with her performance. Um, <clears throat> can you talk a little bit about the first scene that you shot with her? Well, um, I believe, you know, I saw her, Ellen Lewis showed her to me in Certain Women, Kelly Reichardt's film. I thought she was terrific. And then COVID hit and we weren't able to meet. So after COVID, after the pandemic was calming down, we met on Zoom. And I was very, very impressed by uh, her presence, uh, the intelligence and the emotion that's there in her face but you see it you feel it but it's very very uh, you know that it's all working something working behind the eyes you could see it happening um also her activism um which wasn't overtaking the art in other words the art was in the activism in a sense so the art takes over um and in a way which we think then would be more resonant later on after you see the movie you may be thinking about it more 
rather than a person preaching at you. Um, and I think the first big scene we did was one of my favorite scenes where she has dinner with um, Ernest alone. And uh, uh, she's questioning him, a little bit of an interrogation. What are you doing here? Are you afraid of him? What's your religion? All this sort of thing. And then his, you begin to see there the connection between the two. Um, and when she says, ah, ha, ha, the coyote wants money. And he go, and, and surprisingly, he said, that's right, I love money. So she knows, this is the other thing, she knows what she's getting into. And her, even her sisters later, which is also a scene that we put in with the uh, Osage, with the uh, Native American actors, they said, what if we're talking about the guys, well, they're playing that game. And we're talking about my husband and talking about that guy with the blue eyes likes you. And, and you know, well, I don't think he just wants money. Well, it doesn't matter. He's nice. He wants to settle down. Why don't we just show that that's how it could happen? So we, that's the way the script was ultimately uh, uh, created by these moments. So Lily, there was that scene. And of course, the scene where he's driving her in the taxi and uh, it's only one shot. And he says something about, uh, you know, I want to see who's going to be in this horse race. And she answers in Osage. Uh, she, and she says something in Osage. She goes, what'd you say? And she says in Osage again. And he says, well, I don't know what that was, but it must have been Indian for handsome devil. And that's an improv. And you see her laugh for real. So that that moment, you have the actual relationship. It's actually between the two actors, you know. So these were the two moments we felt very comfortable with her. Um, and, and also, we had a feeling that mm, we needed her. We needed her to help us tell her tell the story of the women there. We would always check with her and work with her on the script. There were scenes that were added, scenes rewritten constantly. So now let's talk about some people that you have worked with before quite a bit. <laughs> you formed a 20-year partnership with Leo DiCaprio and a 50-year partnership with Robert De Niro. Why have you returned to them both so often over the years? And what has stood out to you most about their work on Killers of the Flower Moon? Well, uh, in the case of uh, Robert De Niro, we were, we were teenagers together, and uh, he's the only one who really knows where I come from, the people I knew, and that sort of thing. Some of them are still alive. He knows them. Uh, I know his friends, his old friends. Uh, and we had a real testing ground in the 70s where uh, we tried everything and we found that, you know, we trusted each other. It's all about trust and love. It's what it is. Um, and that's a big deal because very often if an actor has a lot of power, and he had a lot of power at that time, an actor could take over your picture. Studio gets angry with you. The actor comes in and takes it over. With him, I never felt that. I never felt that. Um, there was a freedom. Uh, there was uh, experimenting and also not afraid of anything. I wasn't afraid to do something. I just did it. And years later, he, he told me he worked with this kid, Leo DiCaprio, and a um, little boy in, in this boy's life. And he said, you should work with this kid sometime. But he didn't. It was just casual. But with him, a line, something like that, a recommendation at that time, I think in the early 90s, um, is not casual. He says it casually, but he rarely said that. You know, rarely tell me, he rarely gave recommendations. And so years go by and I'm presented with Leo with Gangs in New York and we worked together in gangs. He made gangs possible, actually. He loved the pictures I made um, and he wanted to explore the same territory. 
And so we developed more of a relationship when we did the aviator. And there was a kind of, towards the end of it, there was a kind of something happening, a maturity with him. I'm not quite sure, but we really clicked in certain scenes. And that led to uh, Departed. And, uh, and then that became much closer. You know, that was a project where Bill Monahan, him, me, uh, other people we were writing all the time and recreating that character that he played of Billy. Um, and so during that time, he really found out that even though it's 30 years difference, he has similar sensibilities. He likes pretty much, you know, he'll come to me and he'll say, listen to this record. It's Louis Jordan and Ella Fitzgerald. I grew up with it. He's not bringing me anything new, but he likes it. Said, That's interesting. Why is he bringing anything? He'll call me and say, you know, I had a call, I had a cold and I, I, I was looking at Criterion films and, you know, uh, I wanted to catch up on some of these classics and I saw this incredible movie. It's incredible. It's a Japanese picture. It's called Tokyo Story. Did you ever see it? I said, this was last year. I said, yeah. I mean, it took me a few years to catch up. To I couldn't even understand the Ozu, Ozu style, seeing it for the first time in the early 70s because we're used to Orson Welles, cameras, you know. Um, and I, this guy got it from watching it on a big screen and TV. Uh, uh, and that's very interesting to me to be open that way to older parts of our culture, newer parts of our culture, of course, and the curiosity that he has about other people and other cultures. And there's a trust. There's a trust. And even if we can't get it right away, we know we'll come up with something. You know, uh, maybe other people have relationships where they come up with it faster. Well, we don't. We just work it through. For example, the scene between Leo and Bob in the jail at the end. That scene ultimately was finally written, I think, a few days before we shot it. Uh, working with the two of them and working with Marianne and everybody because we had said so much and it could have gone so many different ways. But what does the picture really need? How much more is there for them to say to each other after all that's happened? you know, and um, uh, so we went that way. Um, it's really, you know, it's trust, particularly doing Wolf of Wall Street, by the way. Uh, he came up with wonderful stuff that was outrageous. And uh, so I pushed him, he pushed me, then I pushed him more than he pushed me. And we and suddenly, <laughs> everything was wild. <laughs> you know, and, and it's really quite something. But, um, and he had a good energy too on the set. That was also important, very important, because in the mornings, I'm not really good. And I get on set and then I'd see him and or Jonah Hill or him and Margot Roby or or him and Lily. And suddenly they're all like, hey, I said, OK, let's work. <laughs> mentioned uh, music a moment ago. Your films have a musicality through your framing, camera movements, sound, silences, and where you choose to cut shots. What informs the rhythm of your work and what music were you hearing in the making and execution of this film? Well, uh, yeah. The way I like to make pictures, for the most part, I've learned, I've learned, or, or not intentionally, but I feel it, uh, is like the pacing of, of music. Um, the boxing scenes in Raging Bull are like the ballet scene in The Red Shoes where everything is seen and felt from inside the ring, inside the fighter's head, the way everything is felt and seen inside the dancer's head, Mara Scherer's in Red Shoes. So uh, the covering of um, 
the band singing The Weight in The Last Waltz doing in a studio was very much according to the uh, music, um, to the different bars of music and how a camera would move, et cetera. So, and sometimes I play the music back on the set in the case of Goodfellas a number of times. Uh, the end of Layla, for example, was played back as we were doing the camera moves. Um, and, and so for me, ultimately, um, a movie is more like, I'm trying to get to like the movie being a piece of music. Is that I think I've been trying. That's why I do I think these music films at the same time I'm trying to get to the pacing and rhythm of um, something that can be played. You know, uh, for example, I don't know, you play a symphony and you live with it. How many times? Oh, I heard the Beethoven Seventh. I don't want to hear it again. No, you play it. Well, I like the third movement. I want to hear the second movement again. No, I mean, you live with it. You live with it. Um, or uh, Baroque music, anything by Bach. So, you know, uh, or Philip Glass, let's say. And so uh, in a case like this, very often I leave, um, if the film is playing on TCM, let's say, I take the sound off and I just watch. It's living with me. I live with it. And if it's a Hitchcock or it's a Ford or, you know, a newer one, whatever, I'm looking and there, I can tell there's a musical rhythm to the pacing of the camera, the edit. What I mean by the camera is the size of the people in the frame, the editing and camera movement. You know, uh, I could feel it. And so that's the way I, that's how I exist in a sense. So for me, it's really, uh, really about getting the pace of music. Uh, and that's done very, very carefully on set, but also even more carefully in the editing. That's why this picture is more like somebody pointed out recently, like a bolero, where it starts slower and moves slowly and in circles and in circles and then suddenly gets more intense and more intense and suddenly goes more and more until it explodes that way. And so um, I felt it. I didn't, I couldn't verbalize the way I am now, but I felt it in the shoot and in the edit. Um, and a lot of the music that kept pushing me was what Robbie Robertson had put together, particularly that uh, bass note that he was playing uh, when, uh, um, when Ernest drops her off for the first time at her house, Molly's house. She looks at him, she turns, and all of a sudden you hear boom, 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 boom. I said I wanted something dangerous and fleshy and sexy, but dangerous. And that beat took us all the way through, all the way through. Then I added, like, he he sent me some uh, uh, hymn, and I could pick up music from uh, 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 Harry Smith's anthology of folk music, all this sort of thing. One particular piece called The Indian War Whoop by Hoyt Ming and his Pep Steppers was very, very important. Uh, Bulldoze Blues by uh, Henry Thomas, which became Going Up to Country by Can Heat. All of this, and, uh, you know, uh, Dark Dark as the Night and Blind Willie Johnson uh, with the Flames. Um, uh, oh, C.C. Uh, Ryder, uh, Ma Rainey, uh, and of course, uh, Emmett. Um, Emmett Miller singing Lovesick Blues, which became the great Lovesick Blues by Hank Williams later on. But this was the first. So it's in all that's in there. But the drive of the movie is what Robbie put down. And we pulled it through that way. And on that note, I think we could talk uh, with you <laughs> about this movie forever. Mrs. Gossese, first of all, congratulations. Thank you for making these movies that make us feel, that make us learn, that make us live. They are absolutely 
extraordinary film. It blew me away, and I, I just can't stop thinking about it. So congratulations. Thank you. The Killers of the Flower Moon, all the luck in the world. And thank you so much for the huge honor of having you with us today. Thank you. Thank you so much. Good to see you again. Okay. Bye.